chapter 11, um, as you know, I've really been focused in on uh, the subject of abiding. If you come to Sunday school uh, lately uh, on prayer, we've been several messages on prayer on Sunday morning. And I tell you, it's really helped me. It really has just to stay focused on this subject of our Lord Jesus Christ, of abiding in Him and praying to Him. And it's really helped my prayer life. I hope it has helped yours and your walk with Him. That is my desire as your pastor. There is nothing else that I want more in this life than so far as my work here on earth to help the people of God that I minister to, to draw close to Jesus Christ, to know Him, to glorify Him, and to serve Him. That's, that's, that's my goal. That's what I want. And also know that that will never happen apart from truly abiding in Him and His Word, being in communion with His Word, and being in earnest, continual prayer. That's where we find everything we need for all of our Christian service. It is abiding in Christ. Our subject this morning is persistent prayer. I want to read verses uh, 1 through 13. Uh, the bulk of our message is not going to be from the model prayer, though we will spend a lot of time talking about one of the things we're taught there to pray for. Um, I want us to read from verses 1 through 13 on this subject of persistent prayer. I hope it'll be a, an encouragement to you today. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, meaning he doesn't really desire to rise and give to him, because he is his friend, in other words, it's easy to say no to a friend sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> that's not our focus here, but that's what he's talking about. Yet because of his persistence, his friend's persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, help us as we come and do your holy word this morning and as we seek to Lord give this word on persistent prayer and the words of your son Jesus I pray that it would be an encouragement to your people to 
pray more continually, to pray persistently, to ask, to seek, to knock, Lord, for the things that you've taught us to pray for. Father, I pray that your spirit would work and move and that we would become a more of a people of prayer. Father, help us to not give up so easily in prayer, but to pour out our hearts and to truly knock and, and Lord, to implore before you and to lay our desires before you and to truly, Lord, beseech you as a child would to their father, begging and pleading at times. Father, help us, I pray. Teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, and amen. Now, Jesus teaches us here really how to pray uh, in the model prayer. I like to call this the model prayer. Some people, you know, call it the Lord's Prayer. I think the Lord's Prayer is more John chapter 17. This is the model prayer, an example of prayer. It doesn't really matter to me if you call it the Lord's Prayer or not. Uh, but most of us, I'm sure, are aware or are familiar with this. And some of us might even be able to recite it. It might be one of the longest portions of God's Word that some of you might be able to recite uh, verbatim. I know in my ministry, I've taught many messages uh, from uh, this model prayer. Uh, we discussed it even for many weeks, not that long ago, in Sunday school class to talk about prayer. Um, and so I know over the years I have taught many messages uh, from this and many uh, sermons, lessons. I've, dis I've dissected this model prayer as much as, as possibly anyone in, in over the many years and, and just really tried to, to bring out as much as I can. And all of that to say this, however, it has really come to my attention um, lately that I've missed something very important for many years. And that's why it's so good to really teach through the Bible as you catch more things. And uh, when you just, like, well, I'm going to focus on the model prayer and you teach on that. But there's so much more to the model prayer whenever we continue to study what Jesus taught about prayer. Jesus has been asked there in verse 1 to be, for, them to teach, for Him to teach them how to pray. So we have the model prayer, but it doesn't stop there. His lesson on prayer, it goes on, and, and He gives these uh, further words from verses 5 on down to 13 uh, to really teach on prayer and so that, that's what's really come to my attention, and especially verses 5 through 8 as he focuses in really on uh, persisting in our prayer. You know, God teaches us the proper way uh, to pray or to address God as Father there in the model prayer. He's taught us to come to Him with respect as our Heavenly Father. He, he teaches us to pray for His kingdom to come. He teaches us to pray for His will to be done, uh, to come to Him with that respect. I was doing all this. Uh, to trust God for our daily needs, to pray for forgiveness, to pray for leadership in our life, to pray for deliverance from evil. We're taught all that in the model prayer. And the model prayer gives us so many things to, to pray for, the right way to approach God as we pray for those things. And, and sometimes we, listen, I think it's even healthy to recite the model prayer. I, I've, I've recited earnestly before God to just help my mind of prayer. Uh, church services, sometimes they might recite it. Um, I think in reciting it every time could, could be uh, harmful to us. Uh, just gives us a mode of ceremonialism. Uh, but nothing wrong occasionally with reciting it. Um, 
However, reciting the words, of, even the very words of Jesus, reciting even the very words of Jesus, without really what he teaches further, could really become more of just a mechanical, lifeless, ceremonial, vain prayer. Even reciting the model prayer, perfect words, could become ceremonious and vain to us. Um, Listen, the, the Lord is not interested in us just simply reciting words or memorizing words and, and, and saying them back to the Lord in prayer. Uh, the model prayer is perfect of, of the lesson it is on how to pray, to just repeat those words over and over again to the Lord every day would probably not be a very healthy thing to do for most of us. And even as pure and perfect as they be, if those words really aren't, aren't brought forth with, with a spirit of, of urgency, a, a spirit of desire, a spirit of boldness as a, as a child to a father, as a, and a spirit of love, and, and some of those in a spirit of desperation, a spirit of, of trust, a spirit of faith. It's not just about reciting perfect words in order to please God or to obtain from God. And so I hope, you, I hope you can see this, you know, where we're really going with this this morning. Can, can you see really in what Jesus teaches in verses 5 through 13 that He's teaching us to come to God in prayer with some persistence? And I think we can miss that. Can you see a sense of urgency, a sense of love for one's friend, a sense of desire, a sense of unableness of yourself and so you go to another to the other friend and said help me I, I need help I have nothing to give and so, and so we see one friend coming to another friend on behalf of another friend and so it is intercessory prayer and the picture somewhat is us praying for others unto God and so it's intercessory prayer for others and so we, we see a sense of urgency and, and desperation we see convenience and properness thrown out the window in His prayer. Whereas if we just recite the model prayer, it can just become mechanical and, and ceremonious if we're not careful. And the next verses teaches us that all that the, the properness and ceremonious activity goes out the window when we see a friend in desperation coming on behalf of another friend. And so it's not just words. And so we see that, that, that convenience and properness is, is really somewhat gone. You know, it's not appropriate, is it, for us to yell at a department store, right? Unless, unless there is an urgent and desperate situation. There's a proper way to behave. If there's a shooter in the building and many people's lives are at stake, it's the time to yell. It's a time for desperate call to action. All social delicacies are thrown out the window and, and they're cast out of your mind and you don't care what people might think about how loud you are or you running down the aisle or you yelling with a loud voice to warn people that there is danger. Or if you've ever lost a child in a department store or at an amusement park, you don't care for people to notice your desperation or to hear your yelling 
or to see that in any way. In other words, social delicacies and, and formality on the outside or, or caring about what people might think, it's gone because you want your voice to be heard. You want what you say to be known. And my point is this, that we may pray for the right things as taught in the model prayer, but do we pray the right way at times? Do we ever pray with that sense of storming the gates of heaven? Do we ever pray in a way where our hearts are truly pouring out to God? Do, do we ask and seek and knock with the persistence that Jesus teaches us here because, because we have desire, we have urgency, we have love, we're beseeching God, we want to trust God, we want to, we want to have faith in God and, and pour our hearts out because there's a desperate situation before us. And we don't care what people might think or say. And then we just throw out the ceremonious approach to God and we just come to Him in desperation. Do we get that? Because we see other people that are hurting, other people who are in danger, or we have a lost child. There are so many good reasons that Jesus teaches us to pray with persistence and to pray with urgency and to not give up. I like this quote by Donald S. Whitney. He said this, Sometimes a failure to persist in prayer proves that we were not serious about our request in the first place. At other times, God wants us to persist in prayer in order to strengthen our faith in Him. Faith would never grow if all prayers were answered immediately. I like that. Persistent prayer tends to develop deeper gratitude as well. Sometimes the longer you ask for something, the more thankful you are. He said, As the joy of a baby's birth is greater because of the months of anticipation, so is the joy of an answer to prayer after persistent praying. And as much as a generation that measures time in nanoseconds hates to admit it, to hate to admit its need for it, God crafts Christ-like patience in us when He requires persistence in prayer. I like that. We are used to getting what we want really quick, aren't we? And, and God has a way of doing great things in us when, it, we, when through persistent prayer. So let me just for a little while with, with all of that, Take the spirit of what Jesus is teaching us to pray or how to pray in those verses, you know, 5 through 13, and apply that to just one thing that He taught us to pray for in this model prayer. And that one thing I want to focus on with persistent prayer is that where we are taught to pray, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, first of all, this very simply means two things, implies two things. One that we will, that, that, that one that others will have God's kingdom come unto them. In other words, at one point, Jesus stated this about his kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is in you. This implies the salvation of souls. This implies the kingdom of God within, to be, to be born again, to, for one to become a part of God's kingdom. Secondly, it implies the future kingdom of Christ where He will literally, physically, one day be on this earth when Jesus, the promised Messiah, 
will sit upon his throne in Jerusalem, will rule and reign. So I think there's two things implied in teaching us to pray, your kingdom come. And now, so let's ask us the question, do, do we ever really pray with persistence regarding these two things? Do we pray with, with, with desperation? As, as the friend is pictured here, who, who's a desperate friend pictured in, in verses 5 through 8. Our family and friends that we have in our life are in need of something much greater than, than earthly bread, are in need of something much greater than physical bread. If they were hungry, no doubt we would feed them, and, and no doubt we would be willing to go at great lengths to even rise in the late of the night to search out bread for them if they were hungry. And we would do all we could to, to give them earthly food. Listen, our lost family and friends are in need of something much greater than that. They are in need of the manna from above. They, Jesus said that He is the bread which came down from heaven. And his friend goes into beseeching another friend for bread. Listen, there's another bread that we need to pray for. Now, the one in our parable goes to his friend at midnight. And this isn't just to teach that the one is being asked is, is being approached at an inconvenient time. It's not just to teach us that. And he's, his house is asleep and, and he is asleep and it's just bad timing. But the one that is doing the asking is rising at a very odd hour at midnight to go to beseech for bread. And he's asking and he is seeking and he is knocking at a time when he himself would naturally be sleeping. When's the last time that we have ever even lost sleep over praying for lost souls? No doubt, if we have children, that has probably happened even recently. But in desperation, when's the last time that we have laid there at night and besought God till midnight, praying for lost friends or family? Do we see this urgency that this friend displays here? And this urgency is, is no doubt there because he cares about his friend. He loves his friend. And his friend just simply needs physical food but yet at midnight he rises and goes and, and looks for that food we have a greater need for those in our family and friends that are lost without Jesus Christ they need the kingdom of God to come they need manna from heaven they need he who is the bread of life we can lay back in, in our easy chairs and, and have a a, a theology of election that teaches us, well, what's the sense of praying? I mean, God's going to save. Who's going to save? But the Scriptures do not teach us to have such a lackadaisical attitude in regard, in regard to praying for others. We need to pray with greater persistence and urgency for the lost and not with a callous attitude of apathy and of an attitude that says what be, will be will be. We need to realize that the, and have a greater realization of their lostness before God and a greater love for souls. Do we even allow our mind to entertain the desperate situation our lost ones are in? It's not a pleasant thing to think about. 
And it's not something that we really want to think about. I understand. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like visualizing my lost friends and family in hell. But sometimes I do that because it helps me to pray. Those without the bread of life are one, way, one breath away from eternal destruction. They are near unto that time in which the Scriptures teach where will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. They are near unto the eternal flames where they'll be bound hand and foot. They are near unto eternal destruction and darkness where they will be banished from ever from the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. There should be a sense of desperation, a sense of, of urgency. Why does he pray for his friend in such a way? Because he loves his friend. I guarantee you that if you have lost your child and physically in a place where there's a lot of people, you will with great desperation out of love for your child do all that you can in that instant to, to find them. And the other people around you will no doubt probably help if they have any love at all. But they won't look like you will look. I believe without a doubt there will be people around you who say, hey, we need to look. Out of desperation, they may look. But no one will look quite like you with a greater sense of urgency and desperation. If you lost your child in a department store or or an amusement park, you no doubt would look for some time and keep your eyes open if you heard of such thing, of one losing their child. But that parent is not going to quit. Folks, we need a greater love for souls and for those that God has put around us. As a church, a people of the living God, let us pray for the loss that we know and those among us because we love them. Let us plead with our Father in heaven and let us come boldly to His throne. So, preacher, are you saying if they die and go to hell, it's our fault because we didn't pray? I never said that. They die and go to hell because of their own sin. But there needs to be a sense of we're pleading before God because out of love for their souls. Let us come boldly to His throne that God would move in hearts and let us pray and ask and seek and knock. Let us pray that God's kingdom would come unto them that He would come and reign with him, within them as Lord and as King. Pray that He would come into them and cast out the strong man of rebellion within them, that they would submit to King Jesus, that He would become Lord of their life and walk and serve His kingdom. Take their names into the most high court of heaven and plead for their souls. Parents, when's the last time that we prayed such things for our children? Cast out, cast out of our hearts any casual request, oh God, save the lost, and then go on in your request for praying for all so many other things. But let us pray urgently and ardently, fervently, persistently, with great love and compassion for the souls of our children. Continually cast their names before God and intercede on their behalf. I'm not saying that we'll pray like this every single moment of the day or even every day. But there does need to be those moments, doesn't there? And there might be just those quiet moments where our heart is just broken and we might, don't misunderstand, it's not a multitude of words, but there needs to always be 
obstinacy, desperation of heart. Save my child. Friend, I beseech you, please, let us pray like that. Let listen to Paul's desire this morning as, as he prayed for the lost of Israel, those of his own countrymen. He said, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. He said, I call God as my witness. This is true of myself. He said that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. Oh, it's showing battery. Okay. okay. Um, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Listen, Paul had this burden for his countrymen. His countrymen. I think a great example in, in really praying for our own nation. A great example of that. And, and we need to do that. But, but as I read this, I think, do we even, can we even say that that testimony is true of our desire for those that we even know personally, that we love and care about? If he has great sorrow and continual grief of heart for the salvation of his countrymen, should we not more so have such for those in our own presence, those of our family and friends that God has around us? If we do not have it for them, if we do not have that for them, then how can we even have it for our countrymen? I don't think we will. You know, sadly, it seems like that if we're not careful, we can be more concerned and bothered. And I'm bothered and concerned, but we can be more concerned and bothered about the way our country is going because we fear the loss of our freedoms then we are bothered about the loss of souls of our families and friends. I'm not saying we have to get rid of one to have the other. I'm just saying when we do more talking to show more concern about possibly losing our freedoms in our country than I've heard voiced about the lost souls in our life, I think we've got a problem. Listen, we can be concerned about our freedoms. I think that that's a, there's a call for that, even in Timothy, as we're, we're, we're taught by Paul to pray for, for peace and, and, and so forth. I think there's a, there's a call for that. There's a place for that. But listen, one way or another, sooner or later, the United States will, without a doubt, one day fall and will no longer exist. That's going to happen. But the souls of my children, the souls of my grandchildren, my, my, my spouse, my family members, my friends, that's something that's going to exist forever and ever and ever. God, let the nation of the United States fall. If that's what it would be that you would use to, to bring lost souls and to come to you in desperation and see that their greatest need is not in this life but in the life to come, that they need Jesus Christ. They need you, the true and living God. Let us be more concerned and bothered about the souls of our loved ones that are held in bondage to sin than we are about the loss of our freedoms in this world. 
And I'm not saying that you can't be concerned about the latter. But I'm saying it's not near as important as the, for, as the first. Church, let us pray with some persistence and desire and urgency for the lost. If the desire and urgency that we have for, for our country to live in freedoms and so that we can enjoy this life here and now, if that was translated over into reaching the lost around us, I believe we as the people of God would have a greater impact upon this world. I see Christians more concerned on social media about their country than I do about souls. They can post all kinds of things about how they're upset with the, with the present or upset with this and that and post after post and things after that. So many things and yet nothing that reaches out to lost souls. No scripture verse, no spiritual thing at all. Well, preacher, I just don't think we should post things like that. Why not? God's given you a platform. You've got a thousand friends on your list. Take, take at least one time a week to post something scripture about Jesus. We, can show, we're not, we don't mind showing when we're upset with our country. We don't mind showing if we're upset with our president or upset with the, the, the things that the world is going in general because it affects our pocketbook. We need to be upset about some other things. And I'm not meaning mad, but hurt and bothered because we have people that we have an influence upon that hear our voices, that hear our words that are lost and without Jesus Christ. There's an urgent need for Christians to rise to this occasion to give before others that bread of life, to beseech the Father in heaven, and to pray on their behalf. Let us not be so casual in our prayers as we pray for the lost. We would be, not be casual if people were around us in danger physically. We would not be casual, as we said, if we just lost a child physically. Let us not be casual in our requests to God, but in desperation persistently pour our hearts out to our Father in heaven. There are souls among us and souls around us of our family and friends that are on the edge of eternal destruction. Let's pray like it. And the second thought, which we will not spend as long on, because I think you're get, hopefully you get the, the idea, the spirit behind what's being taught here in these verses. Your kingdom come, as, as said, refers also to the kingdom of Christ coming physically when He comes and reigns. How much urgency and persistency and longing and desire do we pray for that? You see, this... This tells us a whole lot about ourselves, where we're at spiritually with the Lord. One, if we're praying for the lost. Two, if we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ and praying for His kingdom to come and to be upon this earth. Is there that longing and desire for that? Listen, the more we see the workings of the God of this world and His rule and reign in this world and this long leash that God has Him on temporarily, we should long more for the time in which God casts Him away for that thousand years and Christ rules and reigns in righteousness. Listen, I'm not looking for a greater United States, and though that would be wonderful temporarily for that to be established, I need to be looking and longing more so and praying more so with anticipation for a better country, a heavenly country, for a kingdom whereby Jesus Christ rules and reigns in righteousness. God has prepared us 
an eternal city, and I'm looking forward to that. And so let us not be so wrapped up in, in this world and the pleasures of it that we lose that, that sense of urgency and, and desire and longing for the world to come. Understand again, I'm not saying we should be so disconnected with, with current events that we're not affected by bad news or the way things go. I think there's a place for that. But it's not first. The spiritual things of God are, are, are preeminent, the eternal things. There needs to be a greater longing and desire within us for that, for that eternal place of, of perfect and eternal righteousness. Looking forward to that day where, where we'll be done with this old body of flesh because we're, coming, we're becoming weary with it, the sins of this body and, and the sins of this world. And, and because of such, we grow in desperation and groaning and loaning for the coming of Christ because not just to simply get out of this life, but because righteousness will rule and reign. Let us never become accepting of the sin that may easily beset us, but let us never become comfortable and, or callous to the blasphemy we hear toward the name of our Savior. But may we always be upset at that. I'm concerned of the comfortableness and the callousness we get because of the sin of the world. You know, Jesus, Jesus says that because the iniquity will abound, something's going to happen. He said, because of this, the love of many will wax cold. They didn't say all, so I'm encouraged by that, that we don't have to go that direction or prophesied that we would. But the love of many will. I don't want to be the many that's so cold in love towards Christ or cold in love towards lost sinners where I'm not affected by, 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 sin, by the sin I see. Not just because of how that sin affects me, but because we'll see it, what it's doing to other people. Let us never become cold regarding the murder of babies in the womb. Let us never be apathetic about the sexual morality that is abounding. But let us loan and, and pray for a better country where the kingdom of Jesus will rule and reign physically, literally. That place where we will be given a body that will fit into that kingdom that will never, ever sin again. I'm looking forward to that time. And I long for that time. And there's times where hopefully all of us were praying to the Lord and we're beseeching the Lord and saying, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now I want to just deal with something a little quickly here as we come closer to the end. Why does God wait in our prayers? I know I've talked about praying for the lost or praying for the Lord to come. But in prayer in general, and things we pray for, even though we might pray persistently, why, why does God wait? Why, why does He not just immediately give? Well, it's not always that God doesn't want to give and we're convincing God to do it. It's kind of the impression we almost get if we're not careful of the friend you know, that gives. The purpose of that teaching was to teach us to persistently pray. It's not to teach us that God really don't want to do something. We're going to have to talk Him into it. That's not it at all. It's not that God is the friend that is so hard to approach and that there's an inconvenient time we can come to God because He really doesn't always feel like doing it at the moment because sometimes He's sleeping. That's not the purpose of what God is teaching us there. It's not like He's like the unjust judge and doesn't want 
to give it, but just tired of us asking and, and does it. Listen, through the act of persistent prayer, no matter what it might be, it's so heavy upon our heart that we feel like we're praying for it each and every day, maybe sometimes multiple times a day. God may be going to give you that. And He wants you to persistently pray. But through the act of persistent prayer, God's not just maybe going to grant your request, but God sometimes is doing something greater than what we're requesting. Or He's doing something more than just what we're requesting. And that something more is what He's doing inside of us through the act of persistent prayer. One, through persistent prayer, He's showing us our constant need of Him. The friend in verse 6 says, I have nothing to set before Him. He goes, his friend says, I don't have anything to give. And so, through this persistent prayer, He's being shown He doesn't have what He needs to help His friend. And sometimes that is the way it is through long and persistent praying for something, maybe for days, months, and even, yes, years, that we grow in realization of our own sense of desperation and say, God, if You don't intervene and You don't give and You don't do something, listen, Lord, I have nothing to give them. It's all in Your hands. It's all up to You if they receive the bread and manna from heaven. God wants us to pray persistently because He wants us to be constantly aware of our desperate need of Him because we can so easily revert to dependence upon the flesh. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. He said, The way to trouble God is to not come at all. I like that. The second thing quickly God does in waiting to answer our prayers is the, the way of itself and persistently praying, it molds and shapes our desires to what they should be. Sometimes we begin praying one thing and through enough time and communion with God and being in the Word as we pray, that sometimes God works through this to change our prayer more to be in molding to His glory. Part of the model prayer is what your will be done. Oftentimes we find that our prayers are too much about our will, but through the act of long praying or persistent praying over long periods of time, I'm not talking about two hours long, I'm talking about sometimes days and years of praying for things. Throughout our long season of prayer, of waiting and pleading and looking and being in the Word and looking to God for these things, that God's Word and Spirit works in us and our prayers change a little bit over time and become more fitting to the will of God. Persistent prayer molds us. Thirdly, God is waiting in order to test our faith. So you did not get what you requested the first time. Will you trust Him to ask the second? Will you be patient in asking and waiting? I don't have time to turn there, though I was going to turn there this morning. I referred to it Wednesday as we talked about prayer. But not long after Luke 11, you have Luke 18 where Jesus taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then after that parable there of the unjust judge, after he talks about praying, not fainting, he says this one simple thing. He says, nevertheless, when a son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
It's not an out of joint comment. It's connected. Prayer is an act of faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. We cannot see God. And so when we persistently pray and seek the face of the one that we cannot see, it has a way of exercising our faith and refining it. Listen, it's not good, it's not good character development for you to give your children immediately everything they ask for as soon as they ask for it, even though in your mind you know later you're going to give it. Because saying no or giving a delay or maybe later does something within them. It's healthy for us to not always give. It's healthy for them to not always give immediately. And I think it's the same way with us and God. He does the same thing to us. All right, I have many other things to give uh, in this, but let me close, close with this quote by Bill Thrasher. He said, Why has God chosen to work through per persevering prayer? One, to purify our desires. Sometimes we may want the right thing for the wrong reasons. Two, to prepare us for His answer. A premature answer might cause us to glory more in the gift than in the giver. I like that. Three, to develop our life and character. We have already stated that one of God's greatest priorities in prayer is the work He desires to do in us. Four, to be used of God in spiritual warfare. Although we are not told a great bit of deal about the exact nature of the angelic conflict in the heavenlies, we are told enough to be assured of the reality of it. Five, to bless us with a more intimate relationship with God. An aspect of delighting in a person is delighting in conversing with them. The joy of fellowship with a prized person is the greatest treasure. And I like that. Was he saying basically, if we come to God and immediately got what we want and left, how many of us will keep praying, keep communing, keep talking? And so I like that. There, there's some purpose in God requiring persistent prayer, not just because God needs to be persuaded and convinced as He's doing something inside of us through this act. Let's pray. Father, use this message tonight for Your honor, or this morning for Your honor and for Your glory. Teach us, Lord, to pray. Give us a greater burden and desire for the lost and and help us, Lord, to pray in such a manner as we have spoken and, and help us with greater anticipation to look forward to your coming kingdom upon this earth. Teach us to pray for all of these things, Lord, in our life as we ought with greater love and passion and compassion, a greater sense of urgency, knowing, Lord, that through this act of persistent prayer, Lord, that you are doing something inside of us and molding us and shaping us in our character as well and causing us to come closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.